The following is a recording of a panel presented live at Continuum. For more information on the Continuum event, visit continuum.org.au. And for more on events all around Australia and New Zealand, visit cannedgeek.com. Welcome to Continuum and welcome to the Hitchhiker's Guide to Furry. Over the next hour, we'll be presenting you with a collection of short stories. Stories about friendship, conflict and fandom. The furry fandom, to be precise. At this point, we would love to assure you that there, no prior knowledge is required to enjoy any of these stories. We will be having uh, Ray Liam as the voice of the guide. You'll be hearing from him, and he'll be joining us to explain, you know, anything that needs explaining, such as what is furry. The furry fandom is a large group of individuals interested in animalistic or fantastic creatures, usually with human aspects. One example of this would be the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So anthropomorphism itself is simply taking a human element and applying it to something that is not human. For example, anthropomorphism is the application of human characteristics to a non-human or inanimate thing. For example, a tree that talks, a car that dances, or a pet rock with a face drawn on it. But I was just going to say that the Grim Reaper itself is a grand example of anthropomorphism because it's where you take the concept of death and give it humanoid form. But as furries, we're particularly interested in anthropomorphic animals and fantasy-type creatures. Now, has anyone here uh, met friends through Continuum or maybe through some other convention? Perhaps, hey, <laughs> maybe you've met a, um, someone online. Well, um, so do we. It just so happened that the friends that we made uh, happened to be, you know, through the common interest of talking animals. Now, my name is Carl Evans. Joining me is Erica Vasos and Sam Trotter. But first, I would love to introduce the dashingly derpy Chris McKenna. <laughs> As our first storyteller. Please tell me you had that written. I have a title, that's fantastic. Who here's a Trekkie? That's alright. Okay, um, Discworld fan? No? Okay, what about Doctor Who? Yeah. Awesome. Don't spoil it for me, I haven't seen the 10th season yet, but I'm looking forward to it. That's the latest one, isn't it? Number 10? No? Okay, doesn't matter. <laughs> that's how out of touch she is with it. <laughs> We've all got fandoms that we end up in. Mine happens to be furry. Some of the best friends I've ever met and had, in fact, actually most of them are in this room, were actually met through the furry fandom, and I really, really appreciate that. I get to spend a lot of my time running a podcast, talking to a whole bunch of people online, and, you know, it's, it's really, really good to actually be able to interact with those sort of friends in a really, like, you know, personal and appreciative way, and it's really, really, like, a great place that I enjoy. But we all tend to have that in the fandoms that we actually enter into, no matter what it is that's your particular interest. But we've all got unique ways that we actually sort of start in those fandoms. But unlike most, being in the furry fandom, you can't point at something and say, that there is what I do. Um, because we don't really have a show or a book or a series or, or something to base it off, except for the fact that we have characters that are made up of animals. Explaining it can be difficult which is kind of why we're doing a panel like this, but we still feel compelled to actually get out there and you know, express this, hey, this little interesting part of our lives. But without a starting point or a show or a book to really base it off, we kind of have to make these characters up for ourselves. They're often unique, very individual. Like for instance, you could make yourself a turtle, but it could be a giant turtle and blue with wings on its eyeballs. And that is a unique enough character. You could actually create that and go online and, and meet a whole bunch of people and actually be a giant turtle stomping around the city just for fun. Just a blue wind Exactly. Um, or you could just be a tiger with a day job. Or you could just be a regular tiger if you want to. 
It doesn't really matter. The point is that you're expressing yourself through this character. And normally the, the, the colors will be weird mixes and people will try and be unique and creative. So for instance, um, Erica here, who goes by the name Carnival, is this wonderful mix between a crocodile and a panther bright purple hair and it actually makes a really interesting looking character. Natural. Kyle is a strange mix of a, a fox and a dolphin and a, dolphin. a banana. <laughs> and um, Logan on the end it just happens to be just a normal husky. So you, you can take whatever you want to and actually present this character in a nifty way. Um, and a lot of people will actually feel compelled to, to you know, take their characters and actually sort of, because they're playing them online, they'll do a thing called Fursuiting. A fursuit is a full body or partial costume, personalised and unique to its owner. Fursuits are made from fake fur, foam, stitching and a generous helping of love. Unlike costumes you would rent out, fursuits are an interesting mix of artistic flair and crafted construction by artists and costume makers from within the fandom and for the fandom at large. Okay. So people will take these costumes and they'll run around outside and they'll bounce off walls and they usually be really interesting and they'll you know, make a whole bunch of people smile or they might terrify some three-year-olds because, you know, they're three-year-olds, but hey, three-year-olds are interested in cars and scared of trees, so we can sort of forgive them for that. Um, but if you're into this sort of suiting thing or this character thing, it can be sort of difficult to explain to your parents or your friends what it is exactly that you're into. Or if you happen to explain to your roommates why you've got this big crate of fur coming in, they might raise your rent. But it's all about acceptability. For instance, if you have a Klingon that you go to a heavy metal party at, that's pretty acceptable. You know, that'd be kind of cool. But if you took a furry character and took them to your high school formal, probably wouldn't go down quite as well. <laughs> but no matter, we, we were all sort of compelled to express these characters and we, we express ourselves through them. We sort of project our own ethos and, and you know, our feelings and our personalities in them and the, for some people creating the character is a way to put themselves into it. They're actually sort of expressing a trueness of their personality and for others it's more of a shield or a second skin, something to wrap themselves up in and play with an online world. But all in all, making these characters is something that is yours. It's, it's something that is, is very unique to you, even if they're not the characters that you're playing. It's generally sort of a rite of passage into coming into the fandom, is that people will enter in and then they'll make a character and they'll play that online and that, that will be sort of their first steps into it. It's kind of like putting on some yellow floaties and wading out into, if you'll forgive the pun, the furry pool. Uh, you know, sort of testing the waters, splashing some other people around, seeing if you like your character, seeing if you like the socialising and you'll meet a whole bunch of other people who, like you, have a very unique self-made character. And they'll eventually settle into that and you know, feel comfortable where they are in the pool. Maybe the hot tub doesn't really matter. It's fun, but it can be difficult to go about. And the most lucid moment for this was not for myself, but for a friend that I had. This was many, many years ago before Skype came along and kicked MSN in the shins and you know they went tumbling down the stairs. So it was back on MSN and I was typing away. And this friend said to me, Chris, how do I furry? And it sort of hit me for six because it really wasn't something I was expecting to have to answer at that point in my life. At that time, I'd only really been in the fandom for two years. We'd been doing this, this, this podcast uh, for a while, which is what I do with, with Erica here. And so because you've got a voice that has gone out into the world, I kind of felt compelled that I had a sort of responsibility to answer this question properly for him. So I did give it a bit of a think. And 
My friend here, he's really kind of nervous. He tends to overthink things a lot. <laughs> just a little, just a little. <laughs> um, so a good analogy is that he wasn't really sure how to swim yet, but he was keen to meet new people, to go out and socialize, to make one of new characters. And it's something I wanted to get right because this was sort of something totally out of his normal social comfort zone. You know, he was used to being quite reserved. And so he asked, you know, how should he create a character to go online and play with? And how should he explain to his family and friends without being seen as weird? Because it's not really, like I said earlier, an interest that you can go and just say, hey, here's the thing I'm interested in. It kind of takes a bit of explanation. He wanted a fursuit already, one of, one of those costumes that we explained earlier. And he was quite enticed by the idea of playing a character. But, you know, arriving home and saying, hey, look, mom, I'm a swan, probably would not get taken down so well. He had cosplayed before. He, he played the doctor. But there's kind of a big difference between, you know, the doctor and a hippo, even if they're wearing the same jacket. And he didn't want to go too overboard either by, you know, diving in head first and, you know, getting a bit too into it. So, because... And it's one of the things that we sort of talked about was that for some people, their fandom is their everything. You know, they have a day job, maybe. And they, they go home and they'll, they'll take their vested interest. So it could be, you know, World of Warcraft or knitting or it could be growing mushrooms in your backyard or awesome Scott Card or obsessively reading and reading the Twilight books. You know, whatever it is, once you actually obsess over something, it's the easiest way to alienate your friends and family because it's kind of all you'll talk about. And he really, really didn't want to become one of those people, um, which is why he was asking the questions in the first place. And so I, I thought about how I could explain this to him in a good way. And I couldn't really say, turn left at sci-fi novels, take a right at the anime-inspired character design, it's lot number seven, leave your bags at the door. You know, that's, that's sort of a bit too simplified. And I actually had this problem recently of explaining what the fandom is to a bunch of people at a convention that we had up in Queensland. Generally, they were really, really interested in what it was they were doing because people running around in these costumes, there seems to be stuff going on, so they'd ask, you know, hey, is this a party? Can we join? Is there an open bar? You know, those sorts of questions. They were really, really quite interested in general about what was going on. But there was a gentleman that we met in the elevator while going up who was saying, you know, what is it that you guys are doing? And we attempted to explain it to him, and he just sort of got a bit weirded out. Like, he didn't quite get it. It's like, you know, if... if no way, he was totally into it until you said... Uh, he was totally, yeah, well, he was totally into what we were doing until I explained sort of the name of it, um, which was, hey, we're furries, and he was kind of like, eh. And then there was awkward silence for a while, and he left the elevator, and I guess it's like if you explained yourself as being a brickie for the Legos, and people are like, brickie, and you're like, oh yeah, what buildings you worked on? And you're like, no, 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 I build Lego. And they're like, uh, isn't that for kids? And you're like, no, 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 adults can do it too. But, you know, for us, it was just a little bit more difficult. And that kind of reaction, that really sort of like, eh, reaction might have kind of killed this vested interest for my friend. So I wanted to put him on the right foot. And so he was like, how should I deal with this? And this is what I said to him. I said, make furry something you do, not something that you are. As soon as you start to make it one of the most important points in your life, no matter what the interest is, if someone has a negative reaction to it, you're really going to take it personally. You know, it's, it's going to hit you there, and you're going to feel sad, you're going to question whether what you're doing is really worth it, is it fun, and we're going to have to explain this to more people, that sort of thing. Um, but if it's something that you do, it's an interest in your life, it's more easy to explain what it is that you get out of it, and you're not going to take a personal insult if someone doesn't happen to get what your personal thing is. It's easy to see all the bits that your particular fandom has to offer without getting cut, 
And you know what? Flame Wars never really mattered. If someone doesn't like what you like, then it doesn't really matter. Don't go yelling at them on keyboards or yelling at them in elevators, mostly because it's a crap space and really awkward. Um, <laughs> I told you, they're just like right there. <laughs> Press all the buttons. <laughs> um, if your fandom is a special, fun place that's filled with friends um, and adventures and excitement and interest and you enjoy it for that, then you know what? You can be proud of it for that. And maybe one day you'll be able to show someone else a place to belong to. And for me, that's kind of what furry is. Next up was Logan. This is Sam, um, but he tends to go by the name Logan, which is a far more ordinary name. <laughs> Alright, good morning everyone. I go by the uh, alias in the furry fandom as uh, Logan Husky. Anyone want to have a guess at what my persona species is? Turtle. <laughs> Blue turtle. Blue turtle with wings and his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, uh, look, just before we go any further, uh, I should probably just say I'm part of this panel as the token cliche furry. Uh, white, uh, male, uh, usually between you know, my uh, mid-teens to mid-twenties, and not exactly what you uh, classify my sexual orientation as straight, uh, and not exactly the ideal uh, you know, physical condition. So I've been in the fandom for about 10 years now, and for the longest time, as much as I love the creativity and the passion and the escapism that went into this, it was still something I kept very close to my chest. I didn't tell my family or even my closest friends at high school about this uh, newfound, or even rediscovered, I should say, uh, fascination with these fantastic fictional anthropomorphic creatures and the fandom that they were a part of. So I was maybe 15 or 16 at the time, and when you're going through high school at that age, when you're not exactly Brad Pitt for looks or uh, Einstein for intelligence, you don't exactly want to give your fellow classmates any more ammunition than they already have by telling them that you still enjoy watching Disney and Pixar films and have an alter ego that's an anthropomorphic husky. So I kept this deep, dark secret, this terrible shame, separate from the rest of my normal life. As the years went on, I became more involved in the Melbourne furry community, going to uh, you know, movie and um, barbecue meets, uh, pub and poker nights. And it, was, it was all starting to get really interesting. By this stage, I'd finished my studies and found myself a full-time job. And uh, One day, we're sitting, you know, sitting around a bit on a bit of a tea break and talking about what, our, uh, what we're going to be doing with our upcoming time off over January. Now, one guy's going down the you know, beach to go surfing, and a couple are just going to you know, stay around home, chill out there. So I chime in, oh, I'm looking at going to America for three or four weeks. Alright, what are you going to be doing over there? A furry convention, or fur con, is an event where furries from all over the world, be it fursuiters, artists, writers, or just people looking for this escapism, descend upon a designated hotel for anywhere from three to five days to get together and have a good time. Fur cons are held all over the world and can range anywhere in size from several hundred attendees as is the case of Midfur in Melbourne or Confuzzled in England, to as large as several thousand. Anthrocon, held in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania of the United States of America, consistently attracts over 4,000 attendees annually. While furry conventions can take on all sorts of forms and sizes in all kinds of localities, it's important to note that there is one singular deciding factor for a venue. More important than the hotel rooms or the guests of honor, even more important than the convention space itself, is if the venue has a bar. Upon inspection of a potential venue for a furcon, initial questions usually asked by the event organisers include, more often than not, do you have a bar? Shortly followed by, how late is it open? And, do you think it can keep up with the demand? When asked what kind of demand, the best way to answer this question is to ask them to imagine that for every one of your attendees, alcohol will be required for the equivalent of three Mel Gibsons. 
<laughs> I didn't want to have to explain what furry was, it was as it was only a short break, and uh, so I tried to liken it to something they might have already seen in movies or on TV. Well, there's this kind of uh, comic book, movie, sci-fi, pop culture convention in San Jose, California I've always wanted to check out. Should be kind of fun. And that's as far as I wanted the conversation to go. Oh, is this where they dress up as their favourite characters and movies and stuff? I sensed a disturbance in the force. <laughs> yeah, kind of. She continued to the rest of the group. Yeah, they make all their own costumes and you know, dress up as their, as their favourite characters. It's really weird. And then she uttered the magic words. Yeah, they did this whole episode on CSI about it. No, not the CSI. The CSI episode, titled Fur and Loathing, aired on CBS in America in October of 2003. It featured the murder of a man dressed in a full-body raccoon suit and followed the investigators into a supposedly quote-unquote accurate representation of a furry convention. I can't remember a time, well, a single moment in my life where I've had to exercise so much self-control. Part of me had to stop my eyes from just shooting out of my head like the guy from the car City Ants and just, you know, stop my jaw from dropping to the ground. The other part of me just wanted to go, yeah, I'm one of those guys, whee! <laughs> but instead, I'm very proud of how I played it. I tried to remember the episode. Oh, yes, I think I saw that one. What are those guys called again? Um, fuzzies or something? <laughs> I could tell that she was weirded out by the whole concept and lost cause on even trying to give a very basic overview of furry. So, again, back in, as back in high school, I kept my cards close to my chest. So you do, do you dress up and stuff? Mm, truthfully, I answered, nah, I don't do that. Well, what would you dress up as if you could? Oh, I so just wanted to say a husky, but that would have given me away right there and then. So instead I just said, oh, I don't know, probably a hobbit or something. It wasn't until almost a year later that I actually had the confidence to proudly share and share this part of my life with my, you know, my family and friends. Uh, but we'll get to that in, a, in just a little bit. There's a part two. There's a part, part two. two. Hi guys. Uh, oh, yeah, I can. Eric Vsauce is my name and the handle I go by is Uh So stoked I got that sign name by the way on a whole bunch of websites, but that is an entirely different story. Uh, where I actually began in sorry, the whole furry <laughs> fandom thing, I think would have to be 2005 uh, at the Fur Jam meet. Fur Jam is a Sydney-based fur meet which started in 2004 as a venture to quote, prove Sydney furries existed. It runs annually around September and October, with as many as 70 to 80 attendees at times. The word meet is spelled M-E-E-T, not M-E-A-T. If you should ever find your M-E-A-T to be furry, unless it is of the type being currently demonstrated, it's probably about time you threw it out. <laughs> so, never having been to a meet before, and my only other experiences with other people who were into anthropomorphism, are were actually close real life friends and a few online peers through DA, all very much into this whole drawing scene. Founded in August of 2000, DeviantArt, or DA for short, is an online community-based website boasting being the largest online networking hub for artists of any and every kind, with over 19 million registered users and 45 million unique visitors per month. As a side note, they started up as a Winamp reskinning group. Go figure! <laughs> 
Uh, it's important to note around this stage in the lifespan of a Taz-dwelling area, where I originally come from, and despite being very much into the whole anthro thing as a visual aesthetic for drawing, um, the term furry, let alone a greater concept of the whole fandom at large, but never actually surfaced to a point where I was actually aware that it was, you know, a thing. So when an acquaintance of mine, Graydon over here, called or probably types to me actually at that time. Yeah. There were only acquaintances back then. Asking me if I want to come to the event that he's going to with friends, I thought, why not? I have the spare cash and time to do it. Might be fun meeting some new people. It was as the plane descended into Sydney Airport, the placard that we made, that I still have, went with Sharpie in anticipation of the weekend. I wondered how different all these people that I'm going to meet would be in person. It was a fleeting thought. Instantly recognisable in a bright blue, and I mean bright as the hue chart goes, uh, hoodie and that signature grin of yours. Creighton strides across the baggage pickup, with flanked by Robbie and Ruz, the aforementioned friends. In my usual overly enthusiastic that's a mouthful, manner, I make a dash straight for him at speed. And when he's oh hi, <laughs> turns into oosh, and he drops his bags and sort of braces for impact. Flying tackle hug actually initiated a weekend that we would not soon forget. We all hit it off fantastically instantly, which I guess was quite fortunate because we're all rooming together in a um, venue that was not far from the meet uh, location. In fact, the actual meet was quite sidelined to that experience of meeting new people and actually staying with them. So, not straying far from the smaller group, more than pleasantries and things like that, two things did strike me at a first glance. Uh, it was the amount of people of both genders actually comfortable wearing collars. Uh, something that I've been accessorising with, you know, jewellery since, probably since about early high school. And only a few of the group were actually drawing, which tossed on its head the notion that everyone was sort of into this art thing that I'd known, uh, you know, did draw or was into it somehow. Um, so I guess my actual start-start was kind of tame and not really the massive turning point or the life-changing revelation. But the whole ordeal nevertheless marked some the start of some brilliant friendships and uh, those to come that I would have from delving deeper into the scene as time would go on. But the meet certainly served its purpose in connecting me with the friends that I stayed with and heralded a weekend filled with all the wonders of lollipopping, paddle boating, poi spinning, shoe chewing, lake dipping, parkour flailing, ramen cake, fish cake hunting, dodgy DVD buying ventures that we all shared. Don't Wait, what's that one? <laughs> <laughs> So uh, it was hard to leave at the end of it all and I would readily express to everyone both online and off that uh, sometimes taking the chance to meet new friends is one of the best things that you will ever do. In fact, uh, it was a crucial step in observing something quite fascinating. As Chris mentioned earlier, the characters that people choose to represent themselves within the group are in some ways quite special to them, um, often in very different ways as well. Uh, so meeting these people and seeing firsthand how they can grow and change in sort of parallel to these characters is something quite, I find, unique to the fandom. Uh, the best example of which actually is Creighton himself. There are, as far as I've come to believe, uh, three main types of characters uh, made up in the furry fandom. The accurate representation characters, uh, the escapism characters, and the inspirational or super ego characters. So the accurate representation characters... Yeah, yeah that's a uh, are exactly like the person they represent. They talk the same, they have the same dress sense, there's just a sort of a, a fuzz coating, if you will. Uh, the escapism characters... Yeah! Uh, for exploring those intangible concepts, such as the sensation of having fur, um, possessing a tail, flying, breathing fire, things that you probably can't actually do most times. Uh, the inspirational characters 
Are a character equipped with the traits that the creator admires, or a projected goal of the kind of personality that you would actually like to be, but not necessarily are just yet? So, yes, this is Echo, or Kraden, as Kraden's character. Chris and his persona, Kraden, were quite the perfect example of this third card that steadily grew into the first one. A persona plays on the word persona that lends a fairy twist on a given character, specifically associated with an anthropomorphic representation of oneself. So in the beginning, there was a blue dog. See, look, you even drew yourself this so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had to do your old gallery for one of these. Uh, so th this is the, the character that Chris uh, utilises more commonly. He was actually named Echo when he was created, uh, not long after joining DeviantArt, way, way, way back in the day, as a means to interact with other people within the fandom. The first incantation of the Kraden entity actually visited Chris in a dream some years beforehand. Uh, Chris, would you like to describe the feel of that first encounter? Oh, um, <clears throat> yeah, it was, it was an interesting sort of um, experience because I hadn't ever sorry, I should record this. Um, it was an interesting sort of experience because I hadn't ever really had a character that, um, or, or had a dream where I was not myself. Um, you know, usually running around at school or whatever. But in this particular dream, I was this, this sort of other creature who was like, you know, running around, bouncing off stuff. And, you know, um, it was this really weird feeling of sort of um, uh, uh, strength and ability, which I hadn't experienced before. And it really kind of inspired me to take on this whole other character idea. So, I guess. In a sense, this uh, Creighton character represented a sort of certain empowerment, yeah? Yeah. Hmm. So, where does the blue dog come into it all? Isn't it cute? <laughs> From my perspective, I think the Echo character, in a way, echoed... Yeah, I went there. Uh, a similarity to Creighton in wanting to find his feet and gain control in this new social plateau. Uh, if Echo was the external confidence, enthusiasm and professional aspect, Creighton was the inner contentment, the responsibility, the level-headed side, a side for outward projection and a side for inner accomplishment. I would hazard a guess that the eventual meshing of the two characters uh, was spurred along quite heavily by Chris actually using the, the name Creighton as a side name, which is often and easily mistaken for the character you've gotten off the screen. Yes, the Echo character. And um, by Echo almost appearing exclusively in all personal and interactive artwork with other artists. Um, it wasn't until we were willing to the journey that is our friendship that I actually noticed uh, a steady shift that Chris was making from playing the character into actually being the character very much. Uh, since the very early days of initial online contact to the further jam adventure of 2005 uh, and then annually at meets and conventions, probably about three to four times a year, and then working quite closely together on the, podca uh, the podcast uh, aforementioned, Act for On Air, in late 2008, Act for On Air is an online podcasted radio show initially started by Creighton, Janeera and Kel Bengal from the Australian Capital Territory. The first season, known as season 0.5, only saw four episodes due to technical hardship. In late 2008 and early 2009, down one host who had moved abroad to America, Carnival joined as the replacement third host for the show. And to this day, they continue to be loud and disrupted together as the show moves into its fourth season for 2012. Not known for being the most punctual with updating on schedule, Act Fur covers pop culture, animal relevant news, furry event updates, and discussions on lifestyle and other creative or interesting topics, as well as segments sent in from resident submitters. The podcast currently operates with the tagline, Online Furry Radio for Everyone. So all that building up into present day where we actually live together. Uh, I've watched Chris grow from that person who once aimed for the self-titling aspects in Creating an Echo into actually living that image and aided by the friends in the community, responsibilities both on and offline in events and organised 
organising and running, and especially through the podcast that we continue to work on each week, he's now very much that charming apt person that actually takes care of all these things with a smile and a kick in his step. Chris has slowly slid from needing the, to draw the character to express himself to now being the character entirely without it. I would go so far to say that Creighton is actually instead more like Chris than ever. Uh, he now directly represents your taste in clothings and mannerisms quite a lot closer. Sort of like a uh, fuzzy symbiosis, if you will. So in conclusion, Creighton has become the Chris, or the other way around. Actually, because of that first online impression and from what he said earlier, I do actually call you Creighton about half the time. And it is a fact that there are too many Chris's in the world, so maybe you should just stick with Creighton so it's easy to pull you out of a crowd. I am Rita Carney, <laughs> and these are my stories. Thank you for listening. I don't know if you guys know this, but across Australia and New Zealand, there is something like a hundred kind of geeky events just like this one. There's about 10 or so science fiction events, 9 anime conventions, 2 events dedicated to LEGO, another 2 dedicated to steampunk, and across those, there's about 8 annual furry events. Uh, there's uh, Furdu is up in Queensland, in Sydney, there is Fur Jam. Uh, in New Zealand, we have Fur Cons, and here in Melbourne, we have Midfur. Midfur is an Australian furry convention that started as a meet in 1999, became a convention in 2008, and today has around 250 attendees. Now, until stepping down in about earlier this year, I had spent the last four years volunteering and working on that convention, doing, among many other things, public relations. Now, we had a lot of media coverage over the years, you know, the AHJJ, and every time I sat down and met with a media person, there's a challenge you have to meet. You have to communicate ideas that stem from seven years in a community, four years of running a convention, you know, developing friendship with some of the coolest people I know, many of whom are on stage and in this room with, in this room with me. You know, how do you begin to express the, these ideas to people who don't know you or your friends, not only that, but didn't even know what your fandom was until you sent them a PDF press release that they only just skimmed over. There is so much to communicate in trying to represent an entire community. The relationship between furries and the media should ideally be a mutually beneficial one. The media gets a free pass, exclusive access to guests, and there might even be free food. In return for these sandwiches, the media person provides coverage of the event. In this way, the cost of giving away a free pass should return an investment of other people attending and buying passes next year. That is how it should work. Now, generally, I have had really positive interactions with the media. Because I've come from being someone on the other side doing amateur press. In my first year of public relations at Midfur, we got the age along. And they came along, and we, they came along the first day, they came to an opening ceremony, we bought them drinks, and we generally just tried to get them involved. And so the article, you know, turned out pretty well. It was online and it appeared on page three of the analog version and it was pretty good, except, except for this one line. And very few are sexual deviants, he adds. Another misconception spawned by the occasional pop culture reference, such as an episode of TV crime show CSI, which used the subculture in a storyline involving sex and murder. Now, I don't know what your impressions are of furry is, and really this is way too broad of a topic for me to even address here. And beyond that, I'm probably the least authority person here to speak about sex. <laughs> but what I am gonna say is that note the lack of quotation marks there. There are quotation marks around everything else except that bit, and that is because sex and CSI are things that we, not even, that we didn't even talk about those in the interview. So the lesson there is just, well, sometimes people lie, I guess. We've even had to deal with paparazzi-style media at Midfur. We had a reporter 
who emailed the day before the convention asking him to come along, disregarded the email I said saying, hey, come along on Friday, which was the designated media day, and instead showed up on Wednesday, which was the first day of the convention. She showed up as we were setting up. That should have been my first red flag. She ended up uh, being incredibly rude, harassed the chairman into letting her come back extra days, was aggressively passive-aggressive and disrupted events until on the Friday we were escorting out of the room with security and then on Saturday when she came along we had to inform her that because she showed up uninvited without a media pass we were within our rights to call the police. And then the article, this article. This article turned out fantastic. <laughs> To say that running a convention can be stressful and life-consuming is a bit of an understatement, but there are times when it can be worth it. Back when we did that first Age article, someone came up to me the day afterwards and told me that they were at Midford because they read about it in yesterday's newspaper. And that's why we spread the word and tell people, because there is so much validation in knowing that whatever you do or whoever you are, you're not alone. You may be an outlier on this bell curve, but remember, the data set is so large that there is a whole cluster of outliers. Now, there's still that challenge, though. How do I convey that these people are valuable? So I'm going to tell a story. Because, as it happens, some of the coolest times I've had with some of the best friends I've made here happen to involve bacon. And so I'm going to tell you a story that I don't tell the press, specifically because it involves both alcohol and bacon. Bacon, if you do not know, is a cured meat cut from the sides and back parts of the pig. It is generally considered to be very delicious. <laughs> now, this all took place earlier this year at a convention up in Queensland called Furry Down Under, or Furdu for short. Now, it just so happened that I knew that a number of my favourite people in this entire community were all going to be at this convention. People from, from Queensland and from South Australia and overseas, and even a bunch of people who were coming down from Melbourne. And so, I took this opportunity. I wanted to do something amazing for all these awesome people who would be making this journey to assemble at this convention. So, what did I do? Of all the incredible, amazing things I could have done, I got them bacon. No, back on. Spelt with a K. Bacon is a vodka which claims to be infused with the crispy, meaty flavour of bacon. In fact, it tastes more akin to the flavour of licking ethanol off the hairy side of a muddy pig. Upon drinking bacon, your face will contort into a look of disappointed disgust, as though you just ingested a poorly mixed pangalactic gargle blaster. It is generally considered to be not very delicious. <laughs> Why would somebody do this? Why would you do this? to people that you supposedly like. These are the kind of friends that you can go to for advice, and then afterwards, they will take you out into a park at midnight and sit down with you to eat pizza. There was a reason, though. Aside from the usual geek obsession with, you know, bacon paraphernalia, a number of the people that I want to meet here were members of that uh, Act Fur On Air furry podcast. Act Fur On Air is Australia's premier furry podcast that seems to be unable to avoid listeners writing in about every incarnation of bacon they can think of, from bacon vodka through to bacon band-aids, which are about as tasty as each other. Last year, they also produced a Dungeons & Dragons-inspired radio play, known appropriately as Bacon Quest. But the presented object and, you know, the intended expression weren't exactly in alignment, so I had to rectify this. So post-convention, a bunch of us got together at a friend's house in Brisbane, and on one night, we spent the night 
making up amazing mixed shots. And all it took to fix the back on was a bunch of sugar, cordial, fruit juice, dark chocolate sauce, and more sugar. Everything that's not back on makes back on delicious. And only a dash of back on. So let me close on one more anecdote which uh, features bacon. Bacon, rather. There is a furry household in Melbourne which is a couple of paint jobs up from resembling Tyler Durden's house in Fight Club. <laughs> this is a house which is large in all directions, two stories tall. They have so much spare space that they have a room dedicated to a twister. It's covered in coloured gaffer's tape. They're splotched all over the wall, all over the floor and crawling up the walls. Meanwhile, in the lounge room, on the back wall, there is a mural of Celestia from My Little Pony. It is a great place for a party. And so, after every party, we go down to the shops and buy a mountain of supplies for the mountain of people covering every available surface in the lounge room and make them bacon and eggs on toast. Because if nothing else, furry should be about sharing awesome things like bacon and friendship. Now, for the last story, I would love to introduce the amazingly talented Logan Husky, also known as Sam Trotter, to tell us a story that took place back in Midfer in 2008. Grand finale. No pressure. So, <laughs> Midfer 2008, Australia's very first furry convention. We were all there, including uh, one of our guests here, Nathan. Uh, <laughs> Special guest to the panel. <laughs> there we go. Uh, and we were all having a fantastic time. Although probably Creighton less so after thinking that drinking a can of coffee from a, a hotel vending machine was a good idea. Don't do it. Just, just don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it, it was a Sunday night. It was the last night of the convention. Things are starting to wrap up. You know, the panels are starting to finish. Dealers are starting to pack up. But there was still one more bit to go. The, the charity auction for the RSPCA. Throughout the course of the convention, the organisers had been going, you know, collecting various pieces of memorabilia, sketches from the artist panel, you know, props from the comedy show, things like that, as well as taking uh, donations from the dealer's den. Uh, various bits of arts and crafts, everything from ears and tails to uh, handmade jewellery and artwork. So the auction's going along gangbusters. The two guests of honour, two American comedians, storytellers, entertainers, have agreed to take on the roles as, uh, as auctioneers, and everyone's having a great time, and we're raising money for a great cause. We finally get to the last item, an A0 size poster that just said, Welcome to Mid4X, with a giant paw print in the middle of it, signed by all 180 plus attendees of the convention. Simply put, this was history up for grabs right here. Before the auctioneers had even finished their spiel on the item, the bids started coming hard and fast. And within about 30 seconds, the price had already reached a couple of hundred dollars. As the bids continued to go up and up, the increments of the bids started to get smaller and smaller, and the pacing of the bids started to get slower and slower, and the field of contenders started to become narrower and narrower, with people trying to decide what was more important to them, an amazing piece of priceless Australian furry history, or the taxi to the airport the next morning. So before long, it, the, the, it, came down to two, it, it came down to two guys, an American and an Australian. Now, before I go any further, there are three things that you need to keep in mind before I go on. The first being that, if you recall, late 2008 was a time of somewhat financial uncertainty. The term global economic meltdown might come to mind. As a result, this left the uh, this left the Australian dollar on a bit of a back paw, sorry, foot, in the international marketplace. And the, the reason the reason I, I mention this is because 
the American in this story just so happened to be employed by the US military, an organization not exactly known being short a couple of bucks. And finally, the third thing is that by as, as much as myself uh, and my esteemed colleagues, Chris, Kyle, and Erica here today have all said in one way or another that there is no singular definition for furry. There is, however, one single, one generally considered universal fact of the, you know, that's agreed upon by ourselves as a fandom that by and large, furries are, apart from being by and large, generally considered to be, how can I put this delicately, not exactly the least financially frugal of folk. Now that's not to say we're all poor, but a lot of us will be packing your groceries, flipping your burgers, all the while scrimping and saving just so that we can afford to go to, stay at, and attend a furcon maybe once or twice a year. So there they were, the Australian and the American, David and Goliath going blow for blow in front of a captivated audience of 150 people in the basement convention space of the Victoria Hotel. The tension was fantastic. No one daring interrupt this monumental battle of titans. The Aussie would make a bid, and the American, would, without seemingly batting an eyelid, would go in one better. Back and forth and back and forth it went. Everyone could see in the, in the Australian space that surely he must be reaching his limits soon. But at this point, the American auctioneers were now taunting the poor Australian, seeing the Star Spangled Banner, you know, we're taking this home with us. This simply would not do. This was our convention. This was our history. This was our pride, and goddammit, it was our poster. We were not going to let these Yanks get away with this. Just as it looked like the Australian was down and out for the count, and the auctioneers were about to start making their final calls, a voice shot up from across the room, offering the Australian another $20 to his cause. These two guys didn't even know each other, and as far as I'm aware, had never even met before. There was no discussion on repayment of the money or divvying up the prize if they happened to win the auction. Right down the middle. <laughs> this random stranger just offered up his hard-earned cash simply so that this piece of history could stay in Australia. But this was not enough. Another $20 was nothing to the American who answered back with a further $20. Then. Another voice from across the room shot up. I'll give him $50. But the American still fought on. And then the floodgates opened. What started as several became a dozen, became 20, became 50, became pretty much everyone in the entire room. Except the Everyone just donating you know, whatever little money they had left in their wallets you know, after the weekend, simply so that they could keep this piece of our history here. After a quick count by the convention staff, it was revealed that we had raised over $1,400 for the charity just from the poster alone. It was in, then the young Australian lad who had initially gone into that said that he would donate the poster back to the convention so that it could be brought back and shown at every subsequent midfur simply so that it could, it could be shown and shared with those who would help keep it here. Well, the rest, as they say, is history. I was completely blown away by what had just happened here. I'd never seen or been a part of anything like this before. As I looked around the room, this fantastic buzz of uh, energy and excitement still in the air, I noticed this strange feeling. I stopped and examined it for a moment, just to be sure it wasn't the alcohol or the Chinese I'd had earlier that evening. But no, it, there was no mistaking, it was, it was pride. I looked around at some of my friends, you know, some of the most creative, imaginative, 
uh, intelligent, amazing people that I've ever had the privilege of knowing, and the fandom that we were all a part of, and what we'd just come to come together to achieve. And I thought to myself, why am I ashamed of this? This isn't something I should have to keep separate and hide away from the, from the rest of my life. This is something I should, you know, wear on my sleeve like a badge of honour. <laughs> this is actually a Jack and I comp a regularly wear to work, by the way. So. Then the very next morning, uh, after getting home from the convention and through the haze of the hangover and through the unpacking of the, of the you know, my bag, I get a call from my good friend Alex, a hot friend from high school, asking me to call, you know, if he wants to um, you know, catch up for one of our semi-regular games of pool. I said, yeah, sure. And he said, you know, what have you been up to? I said, mate, I have just gotten back from the most amazing weekend of my life. He said, oh, what, what have you been up to? I said, look, mate, I'll tell you all over at pool. So as we were racking up the balls for the first game, I told him the story that was told by one of the guests of honor, uh, an American, uh, and if you don't mind, it sounds a lot better in the first person. I, I was in a Furukan uh, where Tracy Bellew of uh, Mystery Science 3000 was a guest of honor, and I, I went up to him, I said, oh, Mr. Bellew, I'm a great admirer of your work. I'd very much like to buy you a drink sometime. He said, well, I'm not busy now. I said, all right, let's go. So we went to the bar and I bought him a drink. And he brought me a drink and we bought each other a drink, and then I think someone came along and bought us both a drink, and we lost count. And at this point, some first just walked by, and he said, I just have one question. Who are you people? And I was going to give him the spiel. Well, furries are fans of anthropomorphic art and literature, and, uh, but no, I realized he was a fan. He deserves the real answer. But I didn't know what the real answer was, so I, so I made one up. I said, sir? You ask the wrong question. You ask who we are. What you need to ask is who we were. You see, we, we were, we were the fat kid. We were the brainy kid. We were the kid with big, thick glasses. We were the kid confused about their sexual identity. We were the kid who was awkward. We were the kid who wasn't any good at sports. We were the kid who for whatever reason, the other kids said, you don't belong with us. But human beings are social creatures. We sought companionship. Denied companionship by our peers, we looked for it where we could. Some of us found it in the stars, others in sorcery and swords. We here found it in the loving, caring, accepting faces of the characters we saw on Saturday morning cartoons. Now to answer your question, who we are, are nothing more than adults who have never forgotten our childhood friends. Okay, we're out. <laughs> Get out of here.